Well, in principle, I think supply chain and everyone who's actually involved in the supply chain needs to be aware of the developments going on with respect to machine learning and artificial intelligence. Because as I mentioned in the research and development area, we're already making best use of that. We can get much better with this in our supply chain. And I can just say, it takes some time to change things in the pharmaceutical industry, but I think we have to start now to get these developments on its way to at least benefit from that in a few years. If we're not doing that now, it will take decades and until we get anywhere into a sustainable and reliable supply chain. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast from SAP. My name is Sinto, I'm a marketer, blogger and supply chain podcaster here at SAP. For today's show, I have my wonderful co-host Nicole by my side to introduce our guest and we'll talk about how to decipher the hurdles in the pharmaceutical supply chain. Nicole, over to you. Thank you for the kind words, Sen. I'm Nicole Smythe and today we're joined by Robert Tubis from AstraZeneca. So welcome, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us today and it is so great to have you on the series. So if you could just take a moment to introduce yourself, speak a bit about your previous roles and of course, what you do today. Hello, Finn. Hello, Nicole. Thanks for having me here with you on this podcast. My name is Robert Tubers. I'm actually a fully fledged lawyer with a master's degree in economic law from the University of Cologne. But aside from working in different law firms where I advise mostly pharmaceutical companies, I co-founded my own company, COGAP, in Cologne and acted there as a founder and CEO from 2010 to 2014, but decided later to again join a law firm. Following that employment, I started at AstraZeneca, first as an external counsel, and then in 2016, heading the contracting and sales service department. That means I'm actually responsible now for supplying the German market with our AstraZeneca medicines. And in this role, I actually act as the interface between our AstraZeneca commercial supply chain, the distribution, and all of our customers. So wholesalers, hospitals, compounders, and, and pharmacies, of course. That's great. Thank you, Robert. AstraZeneca is certainly considered a powerhouse in the pharmaceutical industry with 28 manufacturing facilities and a global network of more than 250 suppliers. So your global operations manufacturing footprint is not only large in scale, but it's also highly complex and positioned to deliver medicines to patients worldwide. But of course, as we know, with that complexity comes vulnerabilities as the pandemic has just continued to expose weaknesses within supply chains all over the world as well. So in relation to pharma, is there still a bottleneck in the supply chain and the pharmaceutical industry at the moment? Oh, well, that's a good question, Nicole. It is actually a truly complex supply chain for AstraZeneca still. We, as many of our competitors, were capable during the pandemic to uphold our supply chain and react in a fast manner to most of the supply issues that arise. A very good example for that strength of our supply chain was how fast we actually supplied worldwide the markets with our COVID vaccine in a very short time. So this shows that pharmaceutical supply chains in general are quite robust. 
But, of course, there are some bottlenecks involved in this. As a matter of fact, about two-thirds of the production sites in our industry are located in China and India. And this results in a huge dependency on imports from these countries, especially for off-patent medicines, where it's just not profitable to produce the active ingredients in the European Union or the US. Political issues might easily lead to an export stop here. And we saw this during the pandemic when India prioritized, for example, their own market, resulting in shortages for generic companies all over the world. And if you now just imagine a similar situation with China as we're facing with Russia, it's clearly visible that we would face huge issues, not only in the pharmaceutical industry, but also here. And the supply of patients would be impacted in a significant mega. Another bottleneck are actually the resources for packaging, for example, such as aluminum foils and glass vials. Did you know that those glass vials were mainly produced in Europe and Ukraine? But I just didn't know that prior to the war with Russia. We saw all over the industry now a lack of glass vials as well as higher prices for these vials. And this, of course, impacts our supply chain also by a huge extent. And finally, I'd like to mention that point as well as one of the three bottlenecks I see here is that we see a concentration of production, especially of off-patent substances. So if a plant has to be temporarily shut down or shut down for expansion, a conversion, repair, or it's just simply shut down as it's not profitable anymore, we see globally insufficient capacities at other sites to cover the gaps resulting from the shutdown. To answer your question, short and simple, yes, there are still bottlenecks and we need to mitigate the risks involved and resulting from these bottlenecks. Great point. And as we were just talking about the bottlenecks and you said, yes, there is, or there are still, and especially for Germany, we still have a bottleneck for almost 460 drugs. So I have the impression that this kind of supply chain bottlenecks have increased significantly recently, and particularly for off-patent medicines, especially for antipyretics for children last year. That was a huge topic in the newspaper and also in the house where I live, where we have a lot of young kids and babies and parents were like, where can I get this medicine? That led the German government wanting to secure the supply of medicines in Germany. And the federal cabinet has now passed the bill to combat supply bottlenecks and improve the supply situation for medicines. So in your opinion, what does this mean for the pharmaceutical industry in Germany and also in Europe? Sin, you're certainly referring to the act against supply shortages and Mm -hmm. for the improvement of drug procurement in Germany. Exactly. In German, it's called Arzneimittellieferengpassbekämpfungsunversorgungsverbesserungsgesetz. A very complicated Mm -hmm. name, but in a nutshell, (laughs) this act consists of the following, I think, six topics. One is building a national reserve for antibiotics. Second, a early warning system for supply challenges, incentive for children's medicines, as you mentioned, we faced a lot of shortages here, substitution of medicines by pharmacies, a liberated reimbursement scheme, and adjustments to the current rebate contract. 
So I'm not sure whether you're all familiar what's behind these six topics, but let me just focus on the incentive for children's medicines because you, you took this to actually address these questions. And if children's medicines, we saw those shortages and the government definitely now implemented some incentives to increase the supply of these medicines. The major process behind this is that they changed or they exempted the children's medicines from the reference price system. So usually you have a price cut based on this reference price system. And for children's medicines, you're in the future, not you just do not fall under this cap anymore. So you're in a way mostly free to set your price here as you want, of course, in relation to your competitors here. The downside of this focus on children's medicines is, of course, that we have shortages in many different indications and therapeutic areas, not only for children's, but for example, in oncology, where AstraZeneca itself was facing such a, a shortage of a generic company on tamoxifen, for example. Um, and these indications are not covered in the law at all. So in the end, if you ask me what is the impact of that law on the supply of medicines in Germany and Europe, well, I have to say, in summary, the measures are covering some of the urgent issues, but they are in principle insufficient to bring down supply shortages in Germany and also do not cover any shortages in the European Union. So I would have wished for a more fundamental approach to really tackle the shortages overall. Just to give you a short example, one of the reasons for supply shortages in Germany and also in the European Union are parallel exports due to price differences in the different countries. And usually you would think that uh, Germany is one as an uh, industrialized country with quite a high gross income. You've got quite high prices in, in Germany, but for several years now, we have the AMNOC process, which results in quite low list prices for innovative medicines in Germany. And these low prices are used by pearl exporters to buy drugs on the German market and export them to other European countries. And you as a pharmaceutical company, you work on demand planning for each different country. We have only a certain amount of goods for the German market. So imagine 30% of that amount, of course we have a buffer in there, but 30% of those goods go to different markets all over Europe. That just results in a shortage in Germany and patients especially with high-valued, low-volume uh, products, for example, biologics or oncology goods, are just not available for patients anymore. And, and this is, in, in my opinion, a situation that uh, can't carry on. A follow-up question on this. Doesn't the law also say that you should build a buffer, like a stock buffer for certain types of drugs to avoid supply chain bottlenecks? and to create transparency along the supply chain. So this is a very complex topic, right? And you have to include different points into it, but this would be one of the interesting points to hear. 
Okay, so let me get to maybe start with the national research on our goods. Germany is usually one of the countries where we're launching a product quite early on. And you have different production slots for every country. So, and you start, of course, with a buffer, but you start your planning for a certain period of time, like six months. Um, and it's not as easy as some, some might think to just adapt to larger quantities of goods going into the German market above our planned demand and the actual demand to avoid any shortages within that period of time. So you have to take different measures or you would be just out of stock in no time. And with biologics, it also takes more time to produce them. So I'm not saying pharmaceutical companies are not working with buffers, they do, but with a, a price grab that's profitable to exporters to buy goods in Germany and export them legally to other countries in the European Union, this is an issue you can tackle with a national research here. The early warning system sounds also great, and I, I'm not saying it's a wrong step, but in the end, usually you get on very short notice in, in information of yeah, a supply site somewhere in India shutting down due to a weather phenomena or whatever. And with tamoxifen, we actually faced a similar situation. One of the generic competitors just stopped supplying the market. They had a market share of about 20%. Um, we had the original product, which was priced above this. But we had a market share of around 0.55% left. So with a competitor with 20% of the market share leaving the market and from almost one month to the next, neither we nor the other generic companies were able to cover that gap within such a, a short time frame. Mm -hmm. um, we, we sold six months worth of stock within one month and we're out of stock in almost no time. So um, yes, a buffer is good, <laughs> but it can't cover everything here. Wow, that both are great examples, both just seeing the side effects to the society and everything. It's really interesting to hear from being based in the United States here versus Germany and European and everything, because we had a similar shortage with our baby formula for a while where mothers, fathers were having issues getting just food for their children that were even born in the pandemic. So I can only sense the stress that's rippling throughout households, throughout the country and throughout the world. But it's incredible the work that you guys are doing and trying to implement and really work with those laws. But on top of that, of course, a lot of companies are trying to negate that risk and really go ahead and have that stock in hand through different technologies and leveraging those solutions such as cloud applications, automation, AI, machine learning, and big data, just to name a few, and using that to their advantage. But also with many risk-adverse pharma companies, they can still be very vulnerable to supply chain challenges because they lack the right tools to be agile. So would you agree with that statement? Or in your opinion, how could pharma companies better leverage and use new technology? I think risk-averse companies will face 
certain challenges with new development in every mm-hmm. industry. That's nothing that specifically applies to the pharmaceutical industry. But um, we also have to keep in mind that the pharmaceutical industry is a highly regulated industry. Mm-hmm. Even if you would like to implement new ways and processes, this needs to be aligned with regulatory and supervisory bodies. Mm-hmm. A good example here is, for example, electronic leaflets. Currently, as all of you should have experienced, we're obliged to insert an up-to-date physical leaflet in every pack that we're shipping. And whenever we have artwork change, we call them artwork change, uh, that means a change in that leaflet due to new adverse events or new indications for that medicine, mm-hmm. we need to update the leaflet meaning we have to repackage every existing pack or destroy the existing packs and just produce new ones as the old ones are just outdated. Mm. So an electronic leaflet would just simplify this process tremendously and would be much more sustainable and, of course, also address shortages because it's outrageous that you destroy, you know, (laughs) Um, uh, valuable packs just because the leaflet is outdated. Mm -hmm. Therefore, for example, AstraZeneca is working, as well as certain other pharmaceutical companies, on a pilot in Europe to convince the authorities that an electronic leaflet is an option for future packs. But you start on a small scale and just extend that pilot later on. So it, it takes time. This is, uh, even if you, uh, you're willing to take the risk and invest those developments in the pharmaceutical industry, just take time. And with this pilot, for example, I expect this to be legalized in three to five years. Mm-hmm. Maybe we get something earlier, but that does not mean that we, we have it implemented in three to five mm-hmm. years. So this is definitely something that takes a while over the next decade. Mm-hmm. For machine learning and or artificial intelligence, on the other hand, we could already support flagging potential supply issues due to shortages of third-party political developments and weather phenomena. And I'm pretty sure many pharmaceutical companies are already taking that into account. But then again, sometimes they just happen on a, a very short notice where even these tools are not helping you to avoid the shortage completely. Just helping you react as quickly as possible when it goes wrong. Yeah, or mitigate risks by setting up other supply or production sites or supply mm-hmm. chains. Yeah, absolutely. This is a perfect lead up into my next question, you know, on the topic of new technologies. Super interesting about the electronic leaflet. I think that's a great idea, especially when you're not destroying stock, but you, like you said, getting rid of perfectly good stock that could be sold and used by millions. But like I said, on that topic, Where are you with AstraZeneca? Where are you with the digitalization of your supply chain processes? And what are some of the benefits that you've seen so far? As I mentioned, and the Mm e-leaflet pilot is definitely one of the big digital projects we're currently undergoing Mm -hmm. at AstraZeneca. But something that happened a while ago is, for example, with respect to digitalization, that we have all internal as well as external approvals granted by e-signatures instead of wet ink signatures. Mm. The latter are only used if there is still a legal requirement to do Mm. so. That's part of the regulation and in some areas you can't avoid that. 
but in principle, we're fully digitalized with the signature process. And this definitely accelerates the approval processes, allows a more flexible approach, and is in the end also more sustainable. In the past, with different roles sitting in different countries, you were just sending drafts and approval notices from one country to the other by postal services, and we're avoiding this completely now. The same applies for a digital end-to-end -end supply chain visibility, meaning from the production until it's shipped to the customer, you can track the goods online in our system. So this also allows a faster check of any necessary prerequisites for an approval by the qualified person. For example, temperature control, especially for cold chain products, and also makes us more agile than before. In the distribution process, we are already working for some time with automated checks of every shipment, visually as well as weight control. So every shipment we're sending out is checked automatically there. This we can ensure that even the slightest deviation is automatically identified and then double checked by human employees. So those are clear examples of how we're using digitalization in the supply chain process. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are other processes, R&D, for example, where artificial intelligence and machine learning is used to a much larger extent than in the supply chain, but we're it's getting there. Some great initiatives you have so far. So. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Robert, you just mentioned several times sustainability. So that brings me actually to my Next question. Most assume that the pharmaceutical companies distributing the drug sets the prices, but in fact, it is the manufacturing companies who are having the greatest influence on the market price. So they also evaluate anticipated demand, potential future competition, and anticipated marketing costs, thus determining the wholesale acquisition cost. So in your opinion, how can pharmaceutical companies also help to shape product development so that it is sustainable and innovative based on what you said before, like using all the different technologies and the pilot that you are doing right now, the electronic leaflet, not to use paper to reduce the ecological footprint. What else can you do or what else is the industry doing? Then that's also a very good question, which every pharmaceutical company should ask themselves from an ethical perspective. And I'm saying ethical because it's probably not very profitable and then get to that. But first of all, I would like to object to the statement that the manufacturers are setting the market price. At least this is not applying to the German RX market. Is the wording RX familiar to you and our listeners? Maybe you can explain it also to our listeners. Okay, RX medicines are prescription only medicines in contrast to the so-called OTC products. OTC stands for over-the-counter and might be bought by patients without a prescription or visiting a physician mm -hmm. earlier on. As AstraZeneca is only selling RX products, the price here depends on the German reimbursement scheme. And this is a highly regulated area. So um, Very complex, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so neither AstraZeneca nor manufacturers for other companies are free to set a price here. But 
Nevertheless, pharmaceutical companies, of course, can shape the product development to achieve more innovative and sustainable outcomes. And AstraZeneca, aside from the e-leaflet, we're, for example, switching our propellants within our PMDIs, pressurized meter dose inhalers, for example, for asthma, to a climate-friendly propellant over the next years. Uh, that, that means you're using different materials? Because I have this kind of an inhaler made out of plastic, all of it except for the small can that is made of aluminum, yeah. I guess. And do you want to change that kind of material, this composition or? Not the outside material, but the propellant, which is inside, because mm -hmm. aside from the active ingredient, you need the propellant mm -hmm. to get the drug into your lungs. Mm -hmm. So, and currently most of the PMDI devices out there are using a propellant, which is quite mm. cheap, but not climate friendly. And if you take into account that there are millions of asthma patients worldwide, this definitely has an impact on the environment. So um, AstraZeneca decided to switch that propellant to another one, which is uh, more expensive, but definitely more climate friendly. And future devices will already be developed with this idea in mind. And as you mentioned, the packaging of the medicines is also a big level, of course, to implement innovative and sustainable solutions. So switch from aluminium, maybe not your can for the PMDI devices, but the aluminium folds for blisters, for example, would be much more sustainable from a packaging perspective than the aluminium foils. Additionally, or aside from all that packaging, the usage of NFC or RFID technology could result in better supply chain management, as well as allow new potential applications for patients, like automatic documentation of which batch you got, monitoring patient adherence, automated patient diaries, etc. So there are a lot of potential developments that pharmaceutical companies could implement. But now I'm getting back to what I said initially, and those pharmaceutical companies should take that into account from an ethical perspective. But as pharmaceutical companies are currently not compensated for such sustainable or innovative approach for RX products, it might still take a long while until we will we'll see such developments on a larger scale. Maybe earlier on with regard to sustainability, because we have an increasing awareness here, and discussions on how to, of course, take into account the cost for the environment as well. So there might be also an economic impact on using non-climate friendly products in the future. And then we have, of course, developments which are easier to implement, like lighter packaging and the e-leaflet I've already mentioned. But of course, these can easily result in lower production and shipping costs, therefore, you just have a bigger advantage for pharmaceutical companies if they develop their products with regard mm. to such solutions. And we're already seeing different new approaches here in the industry. But the outcome is not always immediately cost positive. <laughs> for example, I'm again taking the e-leaflet. In the beginning, we probably still need blank leaflets to avoid, you know, big investments in the packaging size, as the production is currently automated and using leaflets in its production process. So you just can't switch from 
one machine to another or within a short period of time that takes long lead times. And then, and I wasn't aware of that uh, also, it's uh, the leaflet itself acts as a buffer to impact for the medicines uh, or the blisters inside mm -hmm. the pack. You could easily have more right of costs due to destroyed packs if you just leave aside the leaflets. So it's interesting to see such development, but again, it probably takes a while until we see them on a wider scale in the pharmaceutical industry. Super interesting. This is a very complex topic. And so most of the points are really correlating to each other, right? And you cannot take out one point to diminish that one, but then it will also have an impact on the other points or on the other topics within the supply chain. But Robert, as we are near the end of our podcast, and we love to ask everyone who is in our podcast, how does the future of supply chain looks like when it comes to overcoming the hurdles in the pharmaceutical supply chain? Well, in principle, I think supply chain and everyone who's actually involved in the supply chain needs to be aware of the developments going on with respect to machine learning and artificial intelligence. Because as I mentioned in the research and development area, we're already making best use of that. We can get much better with this in our supply chain. Aside from that, I would hope for more pharmaceutical companies than just AstraZeneca to actually act in its setting up of the supply chain in the best of the patient's interest as well as in a sustainable matter. And I can just say it takes some time to change things in the pharmaceutical industry, but I think we have to start now to get these developments on its way to mm -hmm. at least benefit from that in a few years. If we're not doing that now, it will take decades and, until we get anywhere into a sustainable and reliable supply chain. Change is inevitable, but it's good, so, <laughs> as they say. Yeah, well, it has its risks, um, but there are always opportunities with every new development. Absolutely. Completely agree. Well, thanks a lot, Robert, for this great conversation. We really, really enjoyed it. And I learned so much. I'm sure Sin can attest as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks again for having me with you and sharing my opinion <laughs> on the supply chain and the pharmaceutical industry. Of course. Happy to have you. And thank you all for listening. Please mark us as a favorite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Robert, Sin, and I, thank you for discussing the future of supply chain.